Amen. Our last two studies in the book of Acts is really focused on this subject of effectiveness and specifically how we can be effective in God's calling on us, individuals and as a church, to be faithful in sharing the gospel with a lost world. But we understand at the same time that there is more that God calls us to than just sharing the gospel with other people. Uh, We know that he's called us to be faithful husbands and faithful wives. He's called you who are single to be faithful in your singleness. He's called you to be faithful as parents to raise our children in the admonition of Jesus Christ. He's He's called our children, children to be obedient to their parents, to show them respect and to honor their father and their mother. These are all callings of God on our life of what he wants and wills us to be able to do. And of course, we all want to be effective in all of those things. I don't know any true born again believer, man that sits there and says, you know, I really aspire to be a horrible husband and uh, I really want to be a bad dad and really just a troublesome church member and just a terrible friend. That's, that's really what I'm trying to achieve. I don't know anybody filled with the spirit that desires that. Instead, every spirit-filled godly person wants to be positively effective in all that God calls us to. That is why It is so important for us to remember that as much as we want to be effective is to remind ourselves that God has never called us to be effective. He's only called us to be faithful. You say, why is that so incredibly important? It's important because as we are doing what God has called us to do, there are many times that we feel rather ineffective. There are many times as a pastor, and and for you, if you teach the Word of God, the whole desire is when you're teaching the Word of God that those who hear the Word of God are going to be what? Changed and transformed. And sometimes I don't see it. Maybe you don't see it or you don't feel it, and you can get a little bit, I don't know how effective all of this is going. Or if you're a parent, you know what the feeling of ineffectiveness is like. You start to wonder to yourself, has my kids heard anything that I've told them in the last 15 years, right? You're wondering about that. Or maybe you're sharing the gospel with people and and you're just like, I just don't see anybody responding at least in a positive way to the gospel that I've been preaching. And, And so how do we deal with that? How do we work through that? How do we continue to keep going forward? It's a reminder, a continual reminder for us is that God does not hold us accountable for our effectiveness and how people respond to what it is that we do and how we minister. What he holds us to is did we do what God has called us to do? And so because of that, we must be faithful. The Apostle Paul is one who would understand faithfulness. He certainly was effective. You, you look at his life and you look at his ministry and you think, man, if I could have just a portion of his effectiveness and how he reached people, that would be amazing. But when you really study the life of Paul, as we've been doing, and you see him going to all of these different cities and, and, and ministering, you find out that there's a lot of times he's probably not feeling very effective at all. There's people who don't want to hear the message. In fact, there's people who will stone him because of the message that he's trying to share. That's ineffective, if you ask me. But yet, at the same time, one thing that we always see him doing, and that is to try to be effective. Here's what I want to encourage you, or always being faithful. What I want to encourage you to do this morning, very simple message before we go in. How many like the simple messages? Yeah, you've told me, right? Uh, I pour in, in anguish over the theological truths of some passages, and I share it. And you're like, yeah, it's okay. And then the easy ones, you're like, hey, I really like that. So here's for you that really like the simple. This is what God is calling us to. He just wants you to be faithful in what he has called you to be. 
And so what I want you to do is, uh, or this morning is I want to give you three ways, at least three ways. There's many more ways than this, but three ways that you and I can be faithful to what God has called us to in whatever area. Three things. Number one, embrace hard work. No, I know I lost most of you right there. Let me say it again. <laughs> to embrace hard work, all right? Uh, first of all, look at verse 1. He opens with this phrase. He says, after this. After this is referring to the time immediately after Paul's preaching at the Areopagus there in Athens. He preaches there. When he's done working there, he leaves immediately, goes 50 miles west to the city of Corinth. In the city of Corinth, he meets a couple by, uh, by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila being the man, Priscilla, uh, the, the wife. And, and this particular couple, we don't know how, had somehow come to faith in Christ before they met Paul. In fact, it was because of their faith that led them to the city of Corinth. We read here that there was, there was a man um, who basically... Um, who was a leader, he was the, the, uh, in, in, in control over all of Rome, and he decides that he doesn't like Christians very much, and so he commands that all of them must leave Rome at this particular point. You say, why would that happen? Well, we've learned up to this point that wherever the Christians go with the gospel, they have a tendency of turning people's worlds upside down. Well, this particular gentleman didn't like his world turned upside down, so he says, I want you to leave. So they're pushed out of Rome, and they find themselves coming to Corinth. Now, what they do for a living, this couple, is they make tents. And it just so happens to be the very thing that Paul has a skill in. You say, why would Paul build tents? I thought his whole upbringing is he was going to be this great rabbi. Well, one of the things that they would teach during that time in the first century was that these rabbis, in learning the law and the Torah, would also have to learn some type of skill to be able to, to be, make a living. And the point of it was is to make sure that they weren't going to be um, selfishly teaching the Torah all for a reason to be able to get rich off of their ultimate teaching. So Paul takes this and adopts it into his own gospel ministry. And so now when he's coming into the city, what we find him doing is we find him working as a tent maker all the way through the week. And then on the Sabbath, we find him coming and preaching the word of God. Now, in order to do all of this, he has to work very, very hard. The question is, why would he ultimately do it? There was two primary reasons for that. And let me say this, he had nothing against somebody making a living from the preaching and the teaching of the word. Let me say that one more time. He had no problem with people making a living off the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. We know that when we look at the word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, just so that you know. He says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you. It's where he says the whole thing, don't, don't muzzle the ox, a laborer's worth his hire. So he has no problem with somebody who preaches and teaches the word of God to be compensated by those he is preaching and teaching to. So why is it when he comes to Corinth, he rejects any possibility of the Corinthian people giving him any money? Why does he end up going and get a regular secular job, if you will, in tent making? He does it for two reasons. Number one is because of the culture. The culture at the time, there were people everywhere. There were teachers. There were philosophers. There were scholars that would basically get up and teach on the sidewalk or in a classroom and say, hey, I'm going I'm to tell you everything you've ever wanted to know and the whole meaning of life, but it's going to cost you. 1995 and uh, so you need to be able to come so he didn't want to be thrown in and viewed as these same these kind of clowns at the time nor did he want to come to people and, and, and say hey I want to share to 
you the, the, the good news of the free gift of eternal life, but it's going to cost you to be able to hear it. He just didn't feel like those two things really matched. And so what he ultimately does is he wants, here's what he does, he wants to work as hard as he possibly can to make sure that there's no problem and no stumbling block for anybody to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's working for six days hard, making tents, morning, noon, and night, and then on the weekend, on the Sabbath, he's coming, and what is he doing? He's coming, and he's working all day long, as the scriptures say, trying to persuade the Greeks and the Jews. Why is this important? It's important because I think when we look through the book of Acts, what we first and foremost see as we ought to is that God is growing his church. We see it. We see it as early as Acts chapter 2. It says as they begin to go, the spirit comes and people begin to share the gospel. It says that the Lord was adding to the church every day. It's hard to to not keep the, the Holy Spirit in mind. In fact, it's really the theme of the whole book, is it not? The theme of the book of Acts is is not what do we do with tongues, That's not what the theme of the book is. The theme of the book is simply this, is Jesus Christ continuing ministry by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is continuing the work that Jesus began while he was here physically on earth. And then here's the the, the last part of that, through his disciples. What we've got to understand is the Holy Spirit works, but how does the Holy Spirit choose to work in and through his disciples, in and through you and I? I hear people all the time sit back going, man, I'd really love for the Holy Spirit to begin to do something. As we sit back and go, come, do something, do something without any activity at all. But the truth is, when you look at the Word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to work when, when what? When God's people begin to work. Paul is one of those people who is one of the most gifted, talented, intellectual people that you will ever find throughout all of history. But the thing that we don't recognize is that he was also one of the hardest workers we've ever seen. And you've probably heard that phrase before, that talent will only get you so far. How many of you guys know those talented people? All right? I mean, maybe you're one of them. We don't like you, all right? And, and, and that's just in the flesh. But you remember the type, like, I remember in seminary sitting there and studying for something for like three days. And we're like, well, we got this quiz. And I know I'm an idiot studying three days for a quiz. I got this quiz coming up and I just didn't want to make a B. And so I'm studying all of this. And, 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 and the guy next to me is like, say, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm just getting ready for this quiz. Oh, we got a quiz? Oh, we got a quiz. Hey, do you mind? Really? Yeah, you didn't study for the quiz? It's like on all this information. He goes, well, can I look at that real quick? Looks at it, gets done, I get a B, he gets an A. Looking at it right over the thing. I don't like that guy, all right? I don't like anything about him. But the truth is, and you've heard this, is where, where, where talent will get you so far, only hard work and discipline will get you where you ultimately want to be. And let me just say this. I'm always amazed by the talent and giftedness of all of you. I meet you and I talk with you and you're like, what do you do for a living? And you do this and you do that and you know how to work in this and you know how to work in that. And I meet folks. The other day I was sitting to somebody and, and I was like, well, what, have you been, what, are, you, what, what are you reading? He goes, oh, I, I like to read. And I said, what do you like to read? And he goes, well, I've been reading Goldsworthy's trilogy and I'm on the second volume of that trilogy and I'm just sitting back going, you've got to be kidding me. And, and they're like, no, and this is all that I'm reading and this is all that I'm doing. And here's my library. And I see all these gifted people and you're tremendously gifted at what you do the administrative abilities and skills that we have people overlooking different areas in the church and the finance and the elders and all this. But let me just tell you something. All that is great, but it only get Mercy Hill so far in fulfilling what God has for us. It has to be hard work. It has to be hard work. Here's the problem is most people don't like hard work. Well, I mean, if I was in advertising, here's what I would do in everything that I was trying to sell. You have to do nothing. This will make your life easier. 
You have to do no work. You mean I have to do no work? You have to do no work. Buy this and your life is easier. Guess what? You're like, oh, I don't know what you're selling, but I'll go ahead and buy it. I just want to do absolutely nothing. People, even in the church today, it's kind of the way that it is. People will come in and I, I don't know who you are exactly, but you'll come in and go, I just want to slip into church, just be able to do nothing. I've worked a long time and I just want to kind of sit in the back. I really don't want any kind of responsibility. Some of you are, why are you hunching down and hiding, right? And so I, I just don't want to do much. But here's the bottom line. Nothing is ever done unless you begin to embrace hard work. We cannot raise children in the admonition of Jesus Christ apart from your hard work. I know so many parents who look at parents who have these godly children who just seem to be able to shine, and they just look at them and go, well, they really got lucky on that one, didn't they? They didn't do anything. They didn't teach them anything. They didn't. Now, we give all the glory and the honor to God, amen? We do that. He works in spite of us. He works above us. But God does work within the work and the faithful hard work of those parents the, I think of the people in Gracie's Kitchen, and I think of how hard they work when they're, when they're feeding the hungry in the community and those that are going to work this weekend. It's not as though, it, it, look, some of them, when, they, when they're, they're cooking all day Sunday, all day Sunday, they leave here, sometimes they've already put food in the oven, they're cooking it, all to be able to feed 100 plus people on Monday. They work all day, they've had to take their weekend to be able to get all the groceries together. Then Monday they're using all day, they go to work, but then they come back and they try to get all the food. They could make that much easier. They could sit there and go, hey, listen, we need enough. We need 100 value meals from McDonald's. That's all we need, cheeseburger, happy meal, and, and bring it all down and be able to give it. But don't. They work, and they work hard. If the word of God is going to be preached, the way you see a difference and the way you see some effectiveness in the people's life is not to be able to make it easy, but you do the hard work that is necessary in the word of God, and then you begin to see an effectiveness, effectiveness of those that are in there. But here's the idea. We're not called to effectiveness. We're called to faithfulness. You cannot be faithful to do what God has called you to do apart from hard work. So instead of trying to get out of it, you and I need to embrace it. So when we get up and Chris gets up and goes, hey, we really need some volunteers. Here's what some of you do. This is interesting. What, what all is involved in that, right? What all is involved? What do we have to do? And in your mind, you're sitting there and you're thinking to say, well, this is going to be. And then you come out and you say, well, that really sounds like a hard work. Bingo. Good job. Anything worth doing, you know this. It's usually very hard to be able to do. And the truth of the matter is, nothing is better than hard work when it comes to being obedient to what God has ultimately called us to do. And we have to jettison this notion of hating work, and we have to, in avoiding work, and we have to embrace it. Number two, preserve through difficulties. We have to, excuse me, persevere through difficulties. Look at verse five. The Bible says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was accompanied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Just very two ways, two ways to take this. One is, is that when Paul was in Corinth, Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia to Corinth, and when they arrived, Paul was, as the Bible says here, occupied in the word. That means that he was studying the word, he was teaching the word, he was doing those things. Second way to understand this is what most scholars take it as, and I think this is the meaning of the text. I think what it means is that when Silas and Timothy had left Macedonia and came to Corinth, they found Paul. Because they came, now Paul was able to do less tent making, and he was able to commit himself even more to the teaching and the ministry of the word. He occupied himself even more. You say, where do you get that from? Well, we get it from looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8, Paul says that when they came, that what they brought was they brought an offering from another church. 
another church that they had been at, that Paul had established in the beginning. They brought an offering, and because that offering came, he didn't have to make as many tents. He was freed up now because of the benevolent gift that he had to be able to give himself over to the word and to be able to preach and to teach throughout uh, Corinth. You say, well, wait a minute. I didn't think he received offerings from churches. He didn't for the churches that he first began to share the gospel with, but he did the established churches. He would partner with them, and when they would give and allow him to partner with him to give him enough money to go into unreached places to be able to share the gospel, he was open and receptive to that. So he comes to this, and what does this mean? It simply means he was freed up to share the gospel even more. And so here's a question, and it's a trick question. What happens when the gospel is shared more? What happens when you do more work for the kingdom? What happens when you're more faithful in your witness? Okay, I say it's a trick question because part of us wants to sit there and go, more people get saved, more people hear the gospel, and all of that is true. But guess what else it means? It means you get more grief. You get more difficulty. You get attacked more. You struggle more. You have more hardships. Some of you are saying, I love new believers. You see them come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they do exactly what comes natural to them. They want to get busy doing things of the work of the Lord, and you're like, okay, we're going to give you this job, and we're going to put this job over here. And about a month, they look like they're ready to just hang it up, right? And they're like, why are you ready to give it up? And they go, because people are mean. They're just so mean. I'm just trying to serve them, and they're just giving me grief on everything that I do. Well, what's your job? I just pass out bulletins. Well, what happens? Well, I pass out a bulletin. Someone said, I don't like that one. I like the other one. That one's crimpled. I don't want that one. Or get that out of my face. I don't want to see that thing. And you're like, all I'm trying to do is give bulletins. So Peter, Paul, all he's ultimately doing is he's trying to share the gospel. And what the Bible says here is that the Jews opposed and reviled him. I don't even really know what reviled means, but it doesn't sound good. I feel like it's happened to me before, don't you? Serving somewhere, trying to help people, trying to love on people. I don't know what's happening, but I think I'm being reviled right? And so it's being reviled. And so what happens when that normally happens? When, when, when you're, tra- you, usually you just want to give it up. Any, anybody ever do that? Sit there and you're like, hey, you, you know how many times I've heard this? And I went down there and I just started to serve and I just gave everything and people just, tar- just treated me like garbage. Well, what are you doing now? I don't do anything now. So what we, we like that story. We like to tell a story, right? People love this. Hey, what did you do? Well, I used to work. Why don't you do anything anymore? Oh, well, it's not my fault anymore. See, what's my fault is I was mistreated when I was working down there. And now I'm mistreated and it's, I do nothing now because I was mistreated back at this particular point. Are you, are you following me with this? The difference is, let me explain something. It may, somebody maybe not have explained this to you. And hard work is essential. But persevering and continuing the hard work until it's finished is absolutely necessary. We can't just sit back and go, I started something and not finished it. Some of us are wonderful at that. We have anybody like that? You, you go to your house and you have 50,000 projects that you started that you never finished. I love you, all right? I love you. You're amazing. But that doesn't work well when it comes to the ministry. To the ministry and you begin to work and you begin to become faithful. And the more faithful you are, the more tension is ultimately going to come around you. And this is what ultimately happens to Paul. So listen to what Paul says. He says in verse 6, he says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here's what Paul does. He does give up a little bit on the Jews in that particular group. You know why? Because they were so ornery. He's trying to share the gospel with them. If somebody comes back and says, you're ugly and I don't like you and get your face out of here, eventually you got to go, okay, all right, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. So he goes somewhere else, but he doesn't give up 
He doesn't stop the work. What does he do? He just goes to a different audience. He goes to the Gentiles, and there he begins to faithfully do what God had called him to do, and that is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question is, how does he keep this up? Because this isn't the first time that he does it. Many of us would have said, hey, that's what happened a long time ago, 10 years ago. That's why I don't serve anymore. It happens to Paul every single city that he goes. But what does he do? He keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps persevering in the midst of difficulties. What is it that causes him to do that? I think that there's two things. Number one is possibility. Number two is accountability. Number one is possibility. He understands that a person cannot be saved apart from the gospel message. You may share with your friends and family members and coworkers the gospel, and you may know that they may not like it, and in the process of you sharing it, you may know they're like, no moss, no moss, I don't want to hear it. But in you, you keep sharing, here's why, because apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, apart from them hearing it, they can never believe it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we persevere. I'm not saying there's not a time in our lives that we don't simply sit there and go, bro, this is becoming way too hostile. I'm just going to go and take that gospel message somewhere else. But what I'm saying is we hang in there long enough like Paul did because he knows no matter what opposition he has, he has to get the message out for people to be saved. But there's a second thing here, and it's not only possibility, it's also accountability. And, And we see this in Paul's words. Notice when he says, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. What Paul, in essence, was saying, and what you have to realize and I have to realize, is that guess what? I'm not responsible, and you're not responsible, of how people respond to the gospel message or the teaching of the word of God or your ministry. You're not responsible for it. They're responsible for it. We can't save anybody. We can't change anybody. But we are accountable. We're not accountable for how they respond, but we are accountable to give them an opportunity to respond. The words that he used here is very, very similar to Ezekiel chapter 33. The prophet of Ezekiel writes this. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. Listen, he says, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and they make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, the sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be upon his own. Here's picture this. We're in a city, a big wall around it. Somebody elects me, watchman. So you go watch. I don't know why you would elect me, but hey, you go and, and watch, okay? I'm gonna stay up. I go to bed like at 7.30, so I'd probably be the worst person for this as long as I have the day. Anyway, go into it. So we're watching the wall. So the watchman's job was this. If they see a threat on the outside, you know what his job was? To turn to everybody else and go, hey, There's somebody out here. Blow the horn, let everybody know, and let them come up and bear arms to protect themselves because of the imposing threat. That's my job. What he says is, if the people listen to, if the people don't listen to him, it's their responsibility that they didn't listen. It's, It's on their head. Their blood's on their own head because they were warned of the impending danger, but they didn't do anything about it. Then he says in verse six, he says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them. That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. In other words, you and I are not accountable for how people to respond, but again, we are accountable to give them an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you need to do the hard work, but some of us, all of us need to make sure that we are persevering in the hard work. And some of you have been put down, but it's time to get up again. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the story, if I've ever given the illustration of the donkey who was buried. I don't know. What, a, what a message. 
what, what, what is this illustration? Well, let me tell it to you. There was a, there was a donkey who had a very close friend with, um, just don't leave going, hey, I love that donkey sermon. Don't do that. That will crush me. But here, here's the idea is, is there's a donkey and he's very close to his master and he had served him for years. Well, the family, when the master didn't know it, was like, we need something new for him. This donkey is too old. Let's get rid of him. They go, what are we going to do? They said, we'll just bury him out back. So they dig a big hole out back and they put the donkey in it. And then they begin to shovel dirt on the poor donkey. And I, I know, poor donkey, right? And so they put it, put, put it on his donkey. And so all of a sudden he just hears this voice. Shake it off and step up. Jesus, no, it was just, he's, he, he's trying to figure out where this is coming from, and it, it's just, you know, shake it off, and I had, to, I had to include Christ in it somehow, so, so he says, shake it off and step up, and so the dirt lands on his back, and he shakes it off, and he steps up, and so they begin to shovel it even a little bit faster, and, and he shakes it off, and he steps up, and he shakes it off, and he steps up, and sorry, I, I know it's, you don't need to see that. but um, And he, so he gets all the way up. Finally, he gets to the very top of it. And then he ends up jumping out. And he ends up finding his master. And he goes, you never believe what they're going to do with me. And he goes, what they're doing? They were trying to bury me. He goes, what did you do? And he goes, well, they begin, every time they would throw dirt on top of me, I would just shake it off and step up. And he goes, here I am. And he goes, all right, let's go to work. Some of you have had all kinds of stuff thrown at you, all difficulties. People have tried to pile stuff on you. Bottom line, and very simplistically, some of you, in the name of Jesus, need to shake it off and step up and get to work. Amen? All right, I got one amen. I'll take it, all right? More than I normally get. Number three, very quickly, we have to believe God's promises. Believe God's promises. Picking up in verse uh, seven, look at this very quickly. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named um, T- uh, Titius a justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians bearing, uh, or hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So here's what's going on. We already know that things are tense between Paul and the Jewish leaders. Amen? Right? We know that. Now things get even worse. Here's what happens. Paul was in the synagogue preaching the gospel. Finally, they said, you, you need to get out of her face. You need to leave. We need you out of here. Go somewhere else. And he says, fine, I'll go somewhere else. And he goes, next door literally he goes next door to to a gentile's house by the way and so the same thing he was preaching in the synagogue he's now preaching over here that does not make people happy on top of that what ends up happening is people begin to come to faith in christ including the guy who is in charge of the synagogue the jewish leader of the synagogue decides hey i think i'm going to go over here and he goes next door and he and his whole family are born again and then as he continues to preach more and more of the gentiles come to faith in christ and are ultimately baptized if they were angry before they are beyond angry now at him so what does he do well the bible doesn't say it but it certainly implies it and we want to be careful there that he's fearful does he need to get out of dodge does he need to leave is this is are they going to kill him notice what God does. Verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Did you hear that? Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. He says, For I am with you. He gives him three promises. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many, many in the city who are my People. So three promises he gives us. Here, this is, these are the promises we have to believe if you and I are going to work hard and you and I are going to persevere through all the difficulties and continue to work hard. Here it is. Number one is God is with you. Now, we know that God is everywhere. Theologically speaking, God is everywhere. 
there's no place in which God is not. So, of course, no matter where you go, God is going to be there. But we also know as believers, very quickly, the believers, that God resides in us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what we find throughout the word, Old Testament and New Testament, is whenever God's people, like Joshua, are called by God to work on his behalf, what the Bible often teaches is that there is a special presence of God that dwells with them. Even when Jesus was, was about to be uh, brought up into heaven, his ascension, he tells the disciples what? And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of you doing what God has called you, you're not alone. Number two, not only not alone, but he reminds them of his power. He tells them, he goes, nothing's going to happen to you. I'm going to protect you. Now, what do we do with that? Because later on, Paul's life, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's beaten with rods, beaten with nine times. What do we do? Here's what God's promise is, and this is, you can affirm it. God will keep you protected and assure you and keep your life and, and protect you from any dangers as long as he sees fit. He will get you to where you need to be, be the witness that you need to be. The world can't do anything at it, but God is sovereign in this, is that he will keep you safe unless he has something greater for you and greater for his ultimate glory, okay? So he has the power. You're like, I don't like that point so much. Well, it's a point, all right? Number three, here it is, his people. And this is what really drives us. If you want to be motivated, it's this promise. God, essence, tells him, you need to keep working. You need to keep working despite the opposition. Here's why. Because there are people that I have called, elected, and set apart in this very city for salvation who will be saved, but they need to hear the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what really motivates me. What motivates me most often in sharing the gospel one-on-one or even here on Sunday morning is that God has called and elected people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group, however you want to work that out theologically, he has. The Bible's clear about it. And the Bible says, we don't know who they are. They don't go around going possible Christian on their head. We don't know who they are. So we preach the gospel. Why? Because we are assured that as we continue to move, some will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has already called them, drawn them, and elected them to salvation. We just have to get the gospel to them. So I don't know where you are today. I'm going to ask Nick to come at this time. I don't, I don't know where you are with all of this. Some of you, here, 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 here's the truth. Some of you are working and you're growing weary. Work hard. Keep persevering. Keep going. Keep being faithful. Some of you, you're not working at all in the area of spiritual things and in the area of advancing the kingdom. Get involved. Work hard and be encouraged. Be encouraged that you're not alone. Be encouraged that God can protect you. And be encouraged that your work is going to lead some to faith in Jesus Christ for all eternity because they're out there. God has elected them and God has called them. We just have to get the gospel to them. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for today. And Lord, as we come right before the Lord's Supper, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would work in this place. You'd give us a moment, Lord Jesus, just to be able to to reflect on you, to respond to this message. God, to begin to think about our own lives. God, where we've fallen short, where we need your grace, where we need your mercy. Lord, let us call out to you, believe in you all the more. Maybe there are some that just don't know you. Maybe this be a day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for me just for a second with me? Stand with me just for a second. And we're gonna take just a moment to respond and then very quickly we're gonna hit the Lord's Supper. Thank you for being patient. 
And uh, let's respond at this time. Go ahead, Nick.